Hello everyone, uh, my name is Antonio Fletcher and uh, I'm joined by my colleague Louise Purcell uh, for our first employment team podcast uh, of the year in 2023. Um, just looking ahead um, to some of the things to expect, some of the challenges and having a chat through uh, where the, uh, the world of employment law is at the moment. So um, thank you for joining me Louise today. It's okay. Um, I think it's fair to say we've certainly had a strange uh, few years uh, that have impacted the way we work and, and employment practices quite a lot. Uh, thinking of not only the, the, the COVID pandemic, but also um, factors like Brexit that have, have really shaken up the workforce. Absolutely. And now inflation. And now inflation as well. Cost of living crisis. Um, with, with, with people struggling to pay their bills, which has led to, I think, a lot of the strike action uh, that we've seen in the last uh, couple of months as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think one of the sort of hangovers, if you like, from, from, from the pandemic is obviously the, the new way that we all, uh, that we all work. Uh, and it seems that employers are transitioning a bit at the moment um, from the uh the home working hybrid um situation we've had in the last few years um yeah i mean i think things are never going to be the same really are they you know we've all got used to working from home at least some of the time and i think it's probably going to be with us now permanently yeah i i certainly think it's it's one of those um things that everyone expects um uh, I think candidates looking for roles probably the the, the the first the second question they ask after how much will I get paid is <laughs> how many days can I work from home, uh, and I think uh, we, we we've definitely transitioned to, to that mentality, uh, which, which has its own uh, own challenges at times um, for employers uh, and particularly those that, that 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 might want to adapt things going forward, and I think it's fair to say that actually there are more changes on the way but certainly potentially um that that will be more burdensome or, or for employers and potentially give employees more rights do you want to tell us a bit about those um yes um so we've got a few things on the horizon um firstly there are going to be fairly significant increases to the living wage um, and minimum wage rates just coming up in april um obviously in the face of inflation they're going up quite a bit yes. and for employers particularly those who employ a lot of sort of um, more junior staff um, that's going to be quite a thing coming up. Yeah I think it, it, it goes beyond those that are simply earning that level of pay to um, I, I've certainly heard mentioned for example in schools that that now um, let's say roles that were, were traditionally lesser paid, like um, let's say cleaners or lunchtime supervisors, this increase in minimum wage will take them above uh, or, or, or very much in line with the, 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 the earnings of someone like a teaching assistant. Um, so you then have um, a knock-on effect where um, you're either going to be faced with a situation where different levels of roles that, that, that might have been paid in a different way traditionally are either now going to be the same or uh, a further impact in costs where you're going to have to increase everyone's wages to maintain that differentiation. So it's, it, it seems to me quite burdensome on employers that, that extra cost, particularly when they're facing 
extra costs all over the place. Absolutely. I suppose no one really expected inflation to be where it is now. Um, we haven't seen it for a long time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's going to mean that that protection actually helps lots of sort of more junior employees, but leaves employees with the headache of, you know, how to deal with issues that might arise with those who traditionally have earned more than minimum wage. Yeah. Whose, yeah. whose incomes aren't protected in the same in way. In the same way, yes, yes. And, and um, I think there's a few other things on the horizon in terms of bills that are working their way through Parliament that, that may enhance rights. I think flexible working was, was one area. Uh, where I think the consultation closed just at the end of the year, that, that, that we may see changes maybe later this year um, with, with enhanced rights for flexible working. Yeah. Do you think that's going to make a big difference? It'd be interesting to see, actually, because so, so the, the core changes are um, really that it, that it becomes a day one right to request flexible working rather than having to have been in employment for a while. Uh, and then secondly, the fact that, that individuals can make two flexible working requests in a year rather than one. Um, so how many people will, let's say, be gutsy enough to make a flex flexible working request yeah. that early on in their uh, in their working life with a new employer or, always, or, or repeat ones? Yeah, it's always a difficult one to navigate, isn't it, when you're a new employee? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But at least you'll have the protection now. Yes, at least there yeah. will be that, that, that protection. And, and then um, a, a few enhanced family-friendly rights that, uh, I mean, taking, taking a cynical view, you might think, mm, it, it, is, is the government trying to pick up votes um, from people by, by introducing things that might look quite popular, um, particularly for, let, let's say, those, those people in uh, sort of in employment in in relatively high earning jobs or, or higher earning jobs that, that might benefit from this. Um, possibly. Um, possibly it's part of trying to increase productivity, yeah. wanting you know, as much of the working population, working age population back at work. Yeah, I think that's certainly a factor. I think with the, the crisis in the employment market, the need for the economy to grow, the need to maximise our, our, our employment market really uh, is, is, is crucial, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's where we're talking about sort of additional protection for um, individuals who... Um, are, are either pregnant or have returned from maternity leave. So, so getting some of the protection that you get whilst you're on maternity leave around redundancy. Um, and then extra leave for things like uh, fertility appointments, uh, extra leave where um, children are in neonatal care, uh, which will all be seen, you know, ho hopefully those will benefit quite a lot of people. But you wonder in practice, I mean, most people who have babies who are in neonatal care, presumably they would probably, on the whole, be on maternity leave anyway at that time. Yeah, yeah. Might yeah. be one so, for the dads, though, as absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so, question how, how big an impact it's really having. Yeah. It, it certainly sets the right tone, though. Yeah, it, it, it sort of sets the tone for, for, for a, let's, let's call it a government that wants to look after people, maybe. I mean, it's also fair to say that some of the changes, actually, that, that the government are talking about implementing do do counterbalance that somewhat and and um there, there's been lots of talk now about the minimum service levels 
uh, and the legislation that's being uh, discussed at the moment about setting minimum service levels uh, when, when strikes are called. So that would effectively be preventing some people who may have voted and may have wanted to strike from striking. Absolutely. I think it's mainly sort of public sector, isn't yes. it? Yeah. That one. Uh, so it's, it's sort of maintaining those, I guess, the, the crucial um, services, um, but th that will impl impact employers as well, sort of transport being one. Uh, and the need to to, 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 to to maintain certain levels of transport. Uh, and then, of course, the most uh, uh, unpopular and probably uncertain one, the, the retained EU law revocation and reform bill, which is very snappily named. Um, but uh, do, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose we're now in this situation where following um, Brexit, there is potentially... Um, it's all open and, and the government can, if they want, depart from um, legislation which currently which currently is, is in place because of Europe. Um, I imagine it's going to be a massive headache when they're looking at, you know, exactly yeah. going through everything. What shall we keep? What, what shall we get rid of, etc. And I think, you know, the uncertainty that it's going to cause for case law mm. and precedent and how that works, it's going to be quite a headache for those reviewing it, for judges deciding yes. the law yeah. and potentially a lot more uncertainty moving forwards over the next few years. Yeah, uh, and, and that uncertainty, uh, in essence, it, 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 does, it does bring about more, more litigation, more, more conflict um, in, in the workplace. And, uh, and, and, and you know, from, from our perspective, one might argue it's a good thing because there will be more developments in case law and, and, and that will tend to have a knock-on effect on, on, on the work that, that, that you and I do. Um, but, um, but, but, but from, from an employee's perspective, the risk is, and, and this was the risk that was highlighted um, all along when this bill was announced, there's a lot of rights that individuals have and perhaps take for granted now derive from that law and may simply be stripped out um, altogether, there needs to be a, a proactive step to, to reintroduce them. Very much um, so. Which, um, you know, with, with, with some rights, there'll probably be more appetite to do that than others. Um, I think it's fair to say that the, 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 the general consensus on whether this is a good thing or a bad is a little mixed. It's um, that th there are areas where I think, p particularly putting an employer's hat on, um, some deregulation might be beneficial. Um, thinking of things like the agency worker regs, um, some of the holiday entitlement case law that's developed over the years. Um, has become very complex, hasn't it? has it? become very Even complex. Even for employment lawyers yes, to navigate. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we have fun <laughs> with that every now and again. It, it does follow this line that, that, that was promoted, I think, throughout the Brexit campaign of removing red tape. Now, if it's removing red tape, I think it will have uh, an element of support behind it. But if it if it does become, um, you know, sort of the stripping of, uh, of you know, core rights that people do rely on, um, then then I think it will it will turn into a much less popular thing. Let's yeah. put it that way. Um, but, and there's likely to be a backlash in that situation. Yeah, and there there is likely yeah. to be that backlash. And, and and you mentioned earlier that. The, the risk of uncertainty and the risk of uh, of litigation. Um, do, you, do you want to mention what the tribunal system looks like at the moment? Um, absolutely. Um, there are 
big delays in the tribunal system. Um, I think things started to go a bit wrong because of the pandemic. Um, the tribunals were shut for months. Um, most hearings were, some of them going ahead on the telephone, but they very quickly had to move over to doing remote hearings and they just weren't keeping up with demand. And so I think there's a backlog yes. um, that's continued really. They haven't really made any headway. I think there is quite a big recruitment exercise, isn't there, with judges being taken on. Um, but potentially recently the, the levels of claim have been quite low. Yeah. Um, so if they're struggling to keep up with that, one wonders what will happen if there is indeed a recession and following recessions we normally get an influx of claims. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw one one interesting stat from our from our local tribunals user group um, notes that suggested that it, that in the middle, well, it would have been the third quarter of uh, of last year, um, that um, there were significantly more claims going into the system than than the tribunal was able to dispose of, and and as you say, it's not been the busiest time for claims at the moment people have generally um, either found a way of resolving disputes via settlement or people simply haven't brought claims because they've gone into new employment very quickly thereafter because of the way the market is because of the, the way the market's yeah. been now 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 if that were to change um, and if there is extra uncertainty around um, law and legal rights and things like that in future um, it is. Uh, it, it's very hard to see how the tribunal could continue to provide an effective service without very significant additional um, resource. Which, again, looking at the greater public sector picture at the moment mm. and all the problems that there are, it's very hard to see where that resource would come from. Absolutely. Yeah, you just really wonder where that will take us. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, um, you know, this introduction that we've had since COVID of remote hearings, yep. that's making quite a big impact mm -hmm. um, on the way things work. Once you do actually get to a hearing, often now you're having that hearing by video link, a bit like yeah. a Teams call. Yeah. Um, so you have the barrister in one place, um, the clients, the witnesses in, in other places and the judge somewhere else again. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, it, I, I think that uh, I, I think I'm I'm with the majority in saying it's probably not providing the same level of access to justice as a normal hearing would. Clearly, it had great advantages during the pandemic because it allowed things to to carry on, which otherwise yeah. would have ground to a complete halt, and we'd be in even more of a mess now. Um, but, uh, but, but, but the difficulty is that um, it, it, it's just hard to see how that can be sustainable for, for any length of time and, and, and simply whether people view that in the same way as they would view going to a hearing and, uh, and, and being heard in person um, by a judge in a tribunal room. Yeah. Um, so possibly, there's a perception element as well. Very much so. Possibly you don't yeah, feel you've had your say yeah. and feel you've been heard properly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I do, uh, I do, I, I do sympathise with tribunals a lot because tr certainly a remote hearing is better than, than no hearing. Um, and the, the, the strain that tribunals are under where 
that there's still seemingly an issue with judge availability causing hearings to be postponed on the day or very shortly before they're due to begin. Uh, now that has all kinds of implications because if you're waiting two years for a hearing date and then that hearing date doesn't even happen, you may then find yourself waiting a whole other year just to have the hearing. Absolutely, plus two sets of fees potentially plus, because plus once your cost. barrister is ready yeah. um, and, and briefed, then they you have to usually pay their fees or at least some element yeah. of them. Yeah, there, there will be a, there, no doubt be a cost implication. Um, there will also be... Um, uh, obviously a time implication for, for a business if particularly if we're talking about a small business that may be key key individuals taken out of their day job to prepare for a hearing that then doesn't go ahead um, and then they can't remember because it's so long ago and, and then they can't, yeah uh, memories fade I think it's fair to say yeah. and, 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 and actually people do leave organizations as well so people who might have been witnesses uh, may have moved on by the time um, that, that a hearing goes to tribunal so you're then facing another set of problems in making sure that those people still uh, attend and give their evidence so again that impacts on uh, on, 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 on the justice that's being dished out uh, to a certain extent. Absolutely and traditionally the, the whole point of a tribunal was that everything moved pretty quickly yeah um, you know, you, you would usually be at the tribunal within months. You have yes. to put your claim in within three months, which yeah. compared to other areas of law is actually very, very fast moving, isn't yeah, it? It is. It is. It was, it was supposed to be a, a fairly informal, um, quick way of resolving issues um, when we look back sort of 25 years ago to when the tribunals were, were, were set up in their current form. Um, and um, I, I think it's, it's fair to say a lot of those boxes are not being ticked at the moment. No, I think potentially there is a place for remote hearings, possibly if it's something very straightforward, you know, a wages claim, yep. um, some money hasn't been paid or something. But once you're into the realms of unfair dismissal and discrimination, whistleblowing, I think you very much need to be there in person. That would be my preference. Yes, no, I, th I, think, I, th I think that's right. And, uh... And, and, and hopefully that can be a way that the tribunals use the remote hearing system more more effectively going forward. Very much um, so. But I think I, I think it's fair to say we've got a year ahead where uh, it's difficult to predict a lot of what will happen at this moment in time. But but we'll probably see uh, some interesting developments along the way. I think so. Yeah, I think it's a continuation of the uncertainty we've had over the last few years. Yeah, really. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Louise, and thank you everyone for listening to this podcast and uh, wish you all the best for the year ahead. Thank you.